if you have your Bible tonight, I'd love for you to turn in that Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. The Lord's spoken very clearly to us in the past little bit about timing and seizing His timing. And about the fact that this is His time for, for some of those things that we've been preparing and praying for. And uh, it's imperative that when the Lord speaks, we act. That is the time to act. You're looking for the time to act. The time to act is not when everybody else acts. The time to act is not when it's cool to act. The time to act is when the Lord speaks. Then you act. When He says move, then you move. That's, I mean, that solves the whole mystery of timing right there. Has the Lord spoken? Yes. Did He say later? No. He said now. Then now let's go. Hebrews very clearly says today... If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. That means you have one chance to either keep your heart soft or get your heart hard, your heart hard, and that is right now when you hear His voice. Because those first moments that you hear His voice, we talked about this a couple of months ago, those first moments, those first 10 seconds, those, that first day, the first week, is huge in your life. How will you respond as we... Uh, Right around Christmas time, we talked about those first moments, how, how Zacharias responded to the angel in doubt, and he had to get shut up for a while. And how Mary responded to the same sort of miracle, even a bigger miracle, to be honest, because she was a virgin. And this miracle of Jesus coming, and she said, smartly, wisely, she said, all right, you're the boss, I'm the bondslave of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. The smartest thing you could possibly say in that circumstance. The smartest thing you could possibly do is if he said, and here's what you're going to need to do, then do that right away. Like the Israelites in the promised land. Do you know God did not keep them on the edge of the promised land for a couple of years or a couple of months? They got to the edge of the promised land. They were sent, spies were sent in. The word of the Lord came. This was the time. This was the promised land, which is a big clue as to what you can do with it because it is promised. And in that moment, the spies come back and give an evil report. Ten give evil, two give a good report. And in that moment, they make their choice. God didn't say we're going to have a vote tomorrow. You made the wrong decision today, but we're going to have another vote tomorrow. And we're going to keep voting until you make up, the right, make up your mind. Now, they, they didn't get more than one vote. And those guys, they probably would have voted the same way. The Lord said, now is the time today if you hear His voice. Don't harden your heart. Now, we know He is a God of faithfulness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in love. He's a God of mercy. And thank God, He usually comes back. I mean, He always comes back. He is always giving us chance after chance, but the smartest thing you can do is say yes right now. And I want us to turn, if you've already began to turn, turn to the end of 1 Corinthians. Sort of the end. To the 16th chapter. And uh, we're going to read a verse here, and then we're going to jump to our bigger portion of Scripture, which is in John. But I want to just show you this, this brief window into the attitude of the Apostle Paul, who's being, at this moment that he's writing, inspired directly by the Holy Spirit. And here's what he writes. He says this, in, we're going to start in verse 5. He says, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, 
And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you sometime if the Lord permits. Now watch the wording in this. Now you've got to, I mean, Spiro and Tina probably have a map in their head because you're, you're from the right region and you kind of got to figure where, where Ephesus is, where Macedonia is, where Corinth is. The rest of you may, may, may be wondering, why is it important that he's talking to the Corinthians about going through Macedonia? And, and from what we know, the Apostle Paul liked to spend the winter. He liked to come and stop at Corinth on his way to Macedonia or on his way down to another part of Greece or his way back to, uh, before he headed back to Asia Minor. And they often sent him out wherever he went. And in this case, he's saying, I'd like to come by. But watch his wording. Watch the kind of words that he uses. Because we need to separate when it's our idea and when it's God's idea. Now watch the kind of wording. You notice he doesn't make any firm commitments here. He says things like this. He says, perhaps, in verse 6, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to remain with you sometime if the Lord permits. Now, this is a smart way to talk when you don't know whether you're supposed to stay or go. He's saying things like, here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I might do. And, and in the end, here's the qualifier. If the Lord permits, that's what I'll do. But I'm not going to go and make firm plans until I know this is what the Lord is saying. I may give you a hope. I may say, this is kind of my projection. This is my thought right now. This is what I'd like to do. But listen, what I do is ultimately determined by what the Lord has said. But here, what he says in the next verse is so telling. He says this. So he's ended this this part of it if the Lord permits in verse 8 but I will now there's no if and or but there I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries you notice how it changes I might do this I'd like to do that I hope to do this I will do this what what determined that he would do this Without a doubt, there has been a wide door for effective service open to me. Now, there is no door that he's talking about that's just a door of coincidence or a, a door of opportunity that just happened to, to come up. This is a door that the Lord himself has opened. In fact, Jesus calls, he says to the church in the, in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the one who opens, I hold the key of David. I open doors no man can open. I shut doors no man can shut that up. He says, I open doors when no man can shut. I shut doors no man can open. But the, the opposite's true as well. But here's what he says. I'm the one that opens the doors. I'm the one that shuts them. Now, I'm sure there are other opportunities in life that pop up that we view as doors. Now, I mean, think about it. Somebody offers you a promotion. That is a door, right? Is that necessarily the door you should go through? There's no, there's no indication yes or no that that is. The only way you're going to know is by inquiring of the Lord. Now you may say, but the Lord, but you, God is a God of promotion. I mean, surely if it's a promotion, I'm sure I should take it. But what if that promotion took more time that God had designed for you to do a specific thing and you took it, it took more time, but what, why, why did you take the promotion? Well, it, it gave me more money. But if God is the one supplying your every need, your ultimate source, 
what some guy in an office decides is your paycheck really isn't what you get as a paycheck. That's just what he wants to give you. But what God has is above and beyond. What God has has nothing to do with how much money you're making. So you can be in the will of God as a janitor or as a CEO. You can be in the will of God as a professional athlete. Or you can be in the will of God as somebody that just mows lawns. It's all up to what God has said. And He's able to reward you regardless of what man rewards you. In fact, He likes to reward you regardless of what man rewards you. So we don't determine whether we're going to take a promotion because it has more pay or it's better hours. We just say, I inquire of the Lord. I'm going to ask Him. And He cares about every detail of my life. And if He's got a plan for me, He's going to tell me. So that's a door. But it may not be the right door. It is a door. Now we've talked about this before. Listen, a lot of times we'll determine what a door is by, we'll say, well, things all of a sudden are lining up. This must be a door. But you see, he says, a wide door is open to me for effective service, and there are many adversaries. Now, if you're looking at that in the natural, you see an opportunity that's got a lot of adversaries. A lot of people say, that's a closed door. That's not an open door. That's a closed door. In fact, if there was an open door, there's a bunch of big, hulking, fat people standing in the way of the door, keeping me from going through. The Apostle Paul's definition of whether it's a good door or a bad door is not determined by who's opposing him, but by what the Lord has said. And somehow he has known by the Spirit that this is a wide door. So the fact that it's wide is important, isn't it? It's a wide door. It may not be wide forever. Do you know the doors in the Spirit that God opens? They hinge on timing. Sometimes the door is open, sometimes it's shut. And right now, it's wide open. And he says, it's a wide door. Now listen to the second part. For effective service. I like that. How many, how many of you just feel sometimes like you are just plowing away? And, you're, and you feel like, from the outside, you look like you're doing the right thing, but you're not seeing fruit from what you're doing. Now sometimes the Lord says, just keep going, you'll see the fruit. Don't, don't go by what you see. Just keep going. But other times, we're just doing something because it looks like it needs to be done. But if God didn't say it, it's a waste of time. As the Scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Now everybody looks at you, seeing you labor on that house, and they say, good work, that house needs to be built. You're doing something. Thank God, at least they're doing something. I remembered when they were in the world sinning and doing something for the devil every chance they had at least they're doing something for the Lord just keep them busy and maybe something good will come out of it but do you know what vain means it's not a good word in the Bible vain means powerless useless a waste and anytime something is vanity it's not from God so when we labor because it seems like a good idea, I bet the house needs to be built, guys. When he says, unless the Lord builds a house, it sounds like there's a house that needs to get built. But he says, unless he builds it, you're wasting your time. Even if it looks like the right thing to do. Now, we said the other day, I, I, I don't believe in throwing a bunch of people at a bunch of projects and seeing what sticks. But I also believe that God does have a part for each of you to play. And it's not just uh, waving the pennants and clapping when someone else does something good. You have an active role right now. And uh, 
For many of us, that's going to take opening our eyes and seeing that there are doors that God himself has opened for effective service. So the only time the door that you walk through is going to be effective is when he's the one that opened it for you. And that's important that we learn in these times to discern. We may say, it's time. Step up. Step in. Well, you better know where you're going. When God says it's time, He's not expecting you to blindly run into walls and just expect that they're going to fall over because it's time. No, you have to say, okay, but Lord, show me where I go. Show me what I do. You know, and I find in the early church when they knew that there was a time for something, but they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Do you know they didn't just wait around saying, well, God will tell us eventually. You know what they did? They sought after it. Many times they fasted and prayed until they had the answer. Because God wants to give you the answer. God is not playing some weird little game of hide and seek. He wants to tell you. He wants to show you, well, why do we fast and pray? Is that to make God feel sorry for us? No. It's because you're finally setting some time to hear from Him. You're finally saying, you're more important than this other stuff. I'm going to stay here until I have an answer. And that's what God is looking for. He's not trying to make it hard for you. But we keep ourselves so busy and so entertained in the times that we're not busy. The voice of the Lord is just as loud as it's ever been, but it's crowded out by a lot of other loud things. So here's what we do. When the Lord says it's time, and we know it's time for something, but we're not quite sure what it is, you know He's got a door open for you. You seek Him until you see the door. And then you put off all other plans, and you go through that door. Because here's what He said. The Apostle Paul wants to go to Corinth... He normally goes this way. He's got other plans. He wasn't planning. You can, I mean, if you're reading this like I'm reading this, it doesn't look like he was planning to stay in Ephesus that long. It wasn't supposed to be that long of a trip. You know winter's going to come, and he doesn't want to get stuck in Ephesus. But he says, I've decided to stay here for a wide door of effective service is open for me. And there are many adversaries. Those adversaries do not determine whether I stay or go, but they do determine that uh, I'm going to have to do this in faith, and I'm going to have to do this with the power of God, because other than that, it's not going to get done. So when God opens these doors, there are times to step through them. You have to first see them, then you have to act. A believer, as the ladies, I believe, studied on Tuesday, I get to cheat, because sometimes I get to look at the chapter they're studying because sometimes I, I help with the, uh, uh, the curriculum that goes along with it. And so um, I get to peek at what you're talking about. And uh, I, I did see a, a powerful phrase that a believer is one that acts on the word. That's how you know you're a believer. It's not whether you mentally thought this is true. It's not whether you came to a point of, of what we've always called mental ascent where, you, where your brain says, that's right, that's good, that's true. A true believer is one that says, okay, I'll do this. There's a great story. I'm sure I've told it to you. And please don't roll your eyes if I tell you again because I really like this story. It's a true story, which are the best kind. I love Niagara Falls. I got to take my wife for her first time seeing Niagara Falls. And it's always cool seeing somebody see it for the first time. And just, and just being in awe of the fact that God made this. This is awesome. But you know, 
uh, it's illegal to do some of the things over in Niagara Falls that they used to do because those things were stupid. And uh, there were things like walking the tightrope or going down the fall in barrels, you know, things that well-adjusted people don't try to do. <laughs> and, uh, but there was a fellow that got really good at walking across the tightrope across the falls, really famous. And, uh, you know, he would do, I mean, after a while, crowds are like this. I mean, they'll see you do one thing, and uh, they'll clap. But you do that same trick two or three times, they get bored. So you have to spice it up. This guy, he'd walk with, you know, the stick. Then he'd walk without it. And then after a while, he'd do some crazy things. One time he actually, you know, made breakfast on the, on the tightrope. He did just some fun things that uh, the rest of us would, would be intelligent enough not to ever try. And so one day, there's a crowd on the other side. And they're cheering for this guy. They love watching the show because we have some sort of thrill when we know someone might die. And so they, they watch him, and he says, how many of you believe that I could carry a man across this rope to the other side? And the crowd went wild. Yes, well, yeah, you can. We believe it. You can do it. And he goes, any volunteers? And shoo, everybody got quiet. And they just shut up. No, no. So the question is, when you clapped and said you believed, did you believe? Finally, his manager puts up his hand and says, okay, I'll do it. Because <laughs> when all else fails, your manager has to do it. So he, he sure enough, he carried him across the falls. He did, he did the trick. It was great. But uh, it's a great example for us to think, you know, how many times does someone say, do you believe? And we go, yes, we believe. And then God says, volunteers, please. And we go, <gasps> well, if God wants me to do it, he'll, he'll, um, he'll, he'll have somebody pull me out. Or if God wants me to do it, I'll, I'll get a random letter in the mail with explicit instructions that will self-destruct when I'm done reading it. If God wants me to do it, someone will prophesy over me. Well, maybe God has already spoken to you and He's saying, volunteers, do you believe this? So it's going to take recognizing these doors and then actually walking through them because a believer is one that acts on the Word of God. Doesn't act on their own grand delusions. Does not act on their own uh, thought of, well, someone needs to do something, but they act on the Word of the Lord. Now I want you to see in John... We're going to go to John 4. Did I say John 4? I meant John 8. <laughs> That's right, I meant John 4. What am I talking about? You know, I read this story all the time. John 4. Trust what you first say sometimes. John 4. <laughs> All right. Now we know Jesus was the Son of God. We know He was the Son of Man. We know He was full of the Holy Spirit. We know He laid aside His robes of deity, became one of us. That means, as He said, I don't do anything unless He tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless He tells me to say it. Now here, let me ask you a question. Now, we know Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? We're not doubting His divinity here. But we know 
that he said, I'm not making my own decisions. I'm hearing his voice. He tells me what to do. He tells me what to say. Do you believe, I'll give you two options. Do you believe that A, Jesus is five years old and God downloads into him everything, everything he's ever going to do in his life and that's it. And he just, he knows it. And God never has to speak again because he remembers everything. Or do you believe as he goes, the Lord speaks to him? That's more likely, isn't it? <laughs> that as he goes, the Lord speaks to him. And he's never left wondering. He's never left asking because he says, the Father is always with me. He always hears me. He always speaks, speaks to me. So Jesus never acted with, uh, just as a, as a mere man, did he? Because he always acted on what the Father said. And he's always acted in the power of the Spirit. So when he does something... You've got to believe that sometimes Jesus, we see in the Gospels, he seems to know he's going to do something for some time. He's prepared for it. And there's other times it seems like the Father speaks to him right then and he does it. He's obedient. He's faithful. And uh, he never doubts, right? He just does it. Now, he's our example, isn't he? Even though he was fully God, he is our example because we have his spirit in us now. And so we know that, that Jesus... Uh, you know, told us, he said, follow in my steps, do as I do, and greater works than I do, you're going to do. So we can expect that, that we should be able to hear the voice of the Spirit like he heard the voice of the Spirit. We should be able to walk as he walked because he's given us the same authority and the same tools and the same Spirit that he had. But here's what he did in John chapter, uh, we'll start in chapter uh, 4, verse 5, all right? So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, Near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, I trust explicitly the authority of the gospel here. I believe that no word is wasted when we read the Bible. I don't believe that anything's put there for no reason. So the reason he was sitting down was he was weary. He was tired. That's what the Bible says. That's what I believe. The reason he sat there was he wasn't waiting for somebody. He sat there because he was tired. But in verse one, or sorry, verse seven, it says, "There came a woman of Samaria to draw water." Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman?" We don't have time to go into all the politics and the culture here, but you, most of you know the history. These weren't two groups that got along, and the Samaritans were in many ways a cult. Not just a different ethnicity, but their beliefs were off too. And he said, first of all, you're a man talking to a woman. That's not appropriate. And you're a Jew talking to a Samaritan. That's not appropriate. So why, why are you asking me for a drink? And he, if it says, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the reason I said, let's find out why Jesus sat down, is I want, I want us to see for a moment that he sat down because he was tired, but as soon as God brings this opportunity, as soon as this woman comes, he snaps back into, into ministry mode. He's not, I'm, well, I'm tired. I'm, I have a vacation. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to do ministry right now because I'm taking a break. He doesn't ever take breaks. This is life. And he doesn't take a vacation from God. It's just always moving in him. It's always breathing in him. It's always living through him. And so he may have sat down because he was tired, but there's a new thing that happens here. This woman begins to talk to him, and he says, she said to him, 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that there, get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. So she's not really catching what he's talking about, is she? He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you've said truly. Uh-oh, he just read her mail. It's totally exposed her. But somehow there's love in this, and he's not condemning her. He's saying, let's put this on the table. And from that moment, she begins to see that this is not just an ordinary man. And something begins to change on her, and she says this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say, that means you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. <laughs> A.K.A. you're wrong. He just kind of just told her you're wrong. I mean, you're sweet, but you're wrong. And uh, she somehow still keeps receiving what he has to say. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to her, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. So all of a sudden, she's starting to think in the right direction. And she may be, I don't know, this is just my thought. She may be testing the waters, all of a sudden realizing He may be this guy. I drop a little hint. I know the Messiah is coming. Did you know anything about that? He'll declare to us all things. Hint, hint. I don't know if that's what she's doing. That's just my thought. And uh, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Huge, right? At this point, listen to this. At this point, this is a really big, big, big moment. This lady has just realized he's the Messiah. This is not a common realization. You remember when Peter realized this? It stopped the whole conversation. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I mean, this was, the, this was a big deal for people to get. She gets it. And just then the disciples show up on cue. And they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman. Yeah, no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Because they'd learned that's not smart. So the woman left her water pot and went into that city and said to the men, come. So she said to the men, obviously the women aren't on real good speaking terms, but she could talk to the men. She says to the men, come, see a man who's told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? So she's still trying to convince herself, this seems like it's the Messiah. I've got to run it by my people, but uh, you told me everything. This couldn't be the Christ, is it? So it's in everybody's hearts and everybody's mind. Now I want you to think, whenever Jesus came to a village, this is huge. I mean, this was God coming to your village. I mean, the biggest thing that's ever, ever going to happen to this village is just happening right now. And blessed are they that realize it. 
You know, this is, I mean, Jesus went how many places and only a few really realized what they had. I mean, blessed are the eyes that, he said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see and understand what you understand. He said to you it's been granted, he said to his disciples, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And other people are going to go and he says, having eyes they won't see. Uh, Their ears are closed, they cannot hear. He says, if they could hear, if they could see, if their hearts were open, then they would turn and I would heal them. Oh, what an opportunity. He wept over Jerusalem, saying this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he said, you who've killed and persecuted the prophets. And you've, he says, I mean, and we're going to skip ahead a little bit, but the last thing that he says is, but you now, he says, I wish you'd known the things that make for peace, but now they've escaped you because you did not recognize your day of visitation. In other words, the time came and you missed it you weren't looking so this is huge that the Samaritans are getting it they're getting it the Christ is here the woman's starting to get it and she's mentioning it could this be the Christ and they went out of the city and they were coming to him this is a beautiful moment they went out of the city I mean for for guys to just put down their work and leave the city because some crazy lady that's had how many relationships that their wives say horrible things about, that's, that's shacked up with another dude, probably isn't of the best reputation. She comes in and says, he told me everything. But these guys are believing something, and they're all leaving. They're all coming out to see him. They went out of the city and were coming to him. So I'm imagining a city slowly trickling out more and more. This whole city is coming to the master and they're not coming to see a miracle they're coming because they think he might be the Messiah huge guys huge meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying Rabbi eat now I can understand why they'd think that way he's been traveling he sat down because he was weary it would be natural for him to eat at this point but there's a door that's been opened it's a very wide door And all Jesus seems to be focused on is that door. And what he's focused on has shifted from earthly things, I sat down because I was tired, to kingdom things. I'm going to speak to you about living water. I'm going to tell you about your life. I'm going to tell you about a time where people will worship in spirit and in truth. These are not things. Listen, I've been tired. You've been tired. You've been weary. You've, gone, you've traveled long ways. And you don't feel, when you're tired, thirsty, and weary, you don't feel like having long conversations with a person. And you certainly don't feel normally like having a conversation and preaching for a city. But he's shifted now from earthly needs and earthly desires. Because now he sees God's purpose. Now he's walking in the purposes of the Father. Now the kingdom is the thing that's important. And when they ask him to eat, that's not what is on his mind. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, as bright as they are, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? And Jesus said, (laughs) like, like Jesus is just saying, no, I snuck some food in my tunic. I mean, yeah, oh, you didn't know that? I mean... 
He's, he's still on a higher plane, and they're, they're on their way there. I mean, they may, get, they may be slow. They may be lumbering up the mountain, but they'll eventually get to where he is. He says, I have food that you don't know about. And they said, oh, no one brought him any food to eat, did they? And he said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We've talked about this before, but what does that mean? My food, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that gives me life, the thing that satisfies me, the thing that sustains me, is to do the will of God and to accomplish his work. And this is a big moment, friends. And he's looking at his disciples saying, you don't realize how big this plays into that. You're thinking about food, but now I'm just being fed by something bigger. And he says this, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? That means we've still got four months. So do you not say there are yet four months? So, so what he's saying is, you guys say, we've got time. There's four months left. Now's the time to eat. Now's the time to play. We have four months. It's not here yet. He says, do you not say there are four months yet, then comes the harvest? He goes, behold. In other words, pay attention. Look here. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields that they are white for harvest. What's Jesus saying to them? You've misjudged the time, friends. You think there are four months. But I'm telling you right now, the harvest is ready. So stop looking at what you're looking at. Stop looking at these earthly things. Stop looking at your normal concerns. Stop looking at the things you normally look at and look up for a minute. Look to the fields and recognize that it is my time for harvest. You've got to recognize when God's time comes and not wait another four months for it. Lift up your eyes and look. It's now. What happens, guys, if they leave that harvest in the field? It's not good, is it? It doesn't stay around for another year. You can't just put it off for another four months. If it's ready, it's ready. He says that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages, rewards, and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because what, have you, what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. You don't see Jews talking like this. You don't. You read the Gospels over and over again, and it's barely enough that the disciples say it. They barely say it. These are people that just met him who look at him as a foreigner, as, as somebody that doesn't fit our society, and now they're saying, we used to believe because you gave us a testimony, but now we've tasted and we've seen for ourselves. He is indeed the Savior of the world. Man, they're getting into something that's even bigger than, than, than what the Jews thought because they're, they're getting into the fact that he's not just the Messiah for us. He's the Savior of the world. 
Now listen, this is something that God could only reveal to them. This is divine revelation. They get it. That is a wide door for effective service. Now Jesus, I'm sure, had other plans. Maybe his disciples had other plans. But the moment this door opens, he drops everything else and stays. I don't care where he was headed. The Bible says after this, he went back home. Went back to Galilee. That's probably where he was headed. But he stays for two days because this is the door that's opened. God opened this door. He recognizes it and it's more important than food. It's more important than rest. It's more important than the vacation maybe he set out to have. I don't know. Nothing is as important as an open door in the right time. He says this, or it says this, after the two days he went forth from there into Galilee. Now, I love when he says, because I know he's still tired, and I know he's still thirsty, and from what I can tell, the woman didn't ever draw him any water. You know? I mean, like, that was the main thing at the first. Give me something to drink. She starts talking and goes, why would you ask me for something to drink? He starts telling you, you should have asked me for something to drink. She goes, wait a minute. And then, you know, he, he says, well, go bring your husband. She says, uh, I don't have a husband. He tells her everything. Then she just drops her bucket and runs to the city, and he still hasn't had a drink. This is a guy that's got to speak to people. When the crowds come, he didn't give a, he didn't give a dramatic dance that they would somehow interpret. He, he didn't give some sort of gospel mime that they had to get. He had to talk loudly without a microphone. He's probably still thirsty. He's probably hungry. He's probably tired. But none of that matters anymore. I'm sure at some point in these two days he ate something. I'm sure he probably had a drink. But it doesn't matter. It's not what's important. We have to realize that when God opens doors for us and they're wide and there's effective service on the other end and there may be adversaries, that's why you've got to be alert. There are always adversaries. God never, never sends you through a door that you're not equipped to go through. You will never encounter something that you're not equipped to overcome. So here he sees a door. He sees the door. He hears the Father. He moves in the Spirit, and a great and mighty miracle happens in this city. We don't hear anything else from these guys until Philip comes back and proclaims to them what's been done. And when Philip went to them, there was another re great revival, great move of the Spirit. But here's the deal, guys. I think we should learn from Jesus, our ultimate example, our Master, our King, our Lord. And watch how he handles every situation. Because he said, follow in my steps. Do as I do. Being a disciple means doing what he did. And we've got to learn something here. That there are earthly things that are natural. Guys, you've got to take care of your family. I mean, there, there are natural things that you come into contact with. There are times to eat. There are times to drink. There's times to work. There's times to sleep. This is the order of things. But there are other times that supersede everything else. Great revivals in the 1700s, 1800s, early 20th century. Do you know one thing in common with all these great revivals? People quit everything else. They were there every night. 
dude, every day. They just stayed. These people probably had jobs. They had things to do. But man, when God is doing something great, nothing is more important. God's always doing something great. I'm not trying to belittle what God does here and, and, and magnify what He does here, but I'm just trying to say you've got to recognize you've got to recognize certain times in your life and seasons in your life and doors in your life. And they may not be the same for all of us. Yes, I'm sure there are doors for a church. This is a time for the group to do something. This is a time for this group to do something. This is a time for the, the believers in Lloyd Minster to do something. This is a time for the believers across the world to do this. There may be times where your family has been spoken to by the Lord and it's for nobody else but your family. There's times where you as an individual have an individual door to walk through. And we've got to learn to recognize these things and realize their importance. Let's follow the example of those who have gone before and above all our great example, Jesus Christ, and see that there are important things and then there's God's things. And when we see that door and when you see a season in, in, in time where it says, now, now, move, there are times to prepare. There are times to plant. There are times to water. And there are times to reap. And when it comes, it's there now. There's not waiting. It's white now. As in the color white. Not me with a speech impediment saying it's white now. <laughs> The harvest is now white. All right, there we go. Praise God. What I'm saying to you is we've been seeing through confirmation after confirmation, not just what I've said, not what, just what Sister Bridget has said, not just what Pastor Tracy might have said, not just what you know God said to Karen or Josh or anybody else. It's what God has said through many mouths of many witnesses. This is a specific time for us. It's not the only time. It's not our first time. But it's a big time. And if you don't know what the door is you're supposed to walk in, you can do one of two things. There are times to wait on the Lord. There are times, there are times where He says, just expect it and it's coming soon. And there are other times where you know, it's supposed to be now. I just don't know what to do right now. And let me tell you, the best thing to do is not just to find something random and just run around and do it. The best thing to do is seek the Lord. And if you don't know what you're meant to do, if you don't know God, I mean, I, mean, I, I know it's time to do something. I just don't know what. Then, then, you know, be active about this. Be active about it. Pursue Him. He says, knock, and the door will be open. Seek, and you will find. I mean, He is not withholding anything from you. He's a good Father who gives His children good things. It is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is His good pleasure to reveal Himself to you. It is His good pleasure to reveal His plan for you. It is His good pleasure to open the windows of heaven. It is His good pleasure to say, this is what I want you to do right now. Now walk in it. And we as sons and daughters of the King say, I'll lay everything else down because nothing is as important doesn't mean everybody has to quit their jobs. doesn't mean everybody has to go without food for 40 days. But it just means when the Lord speaks, nothing is as important. Nothing is as big as a wide door for effective service. And if you see that wide door for effective service, stay there and go through that door. Amen.